Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hari Buddha Magar dreams of one more mountaintop experience. He wants to climb Mount Everest. He currently holds world records for climbing summits around the world over 20,000 feet. What makes Hari's dream so special is that he doesn't have legs. A British war veteran, a double above the knee amputee, lost him in 2010 when he stepped on an IED in Afghanistan. His planned attempt for Everest hit a wall in 2017 when Nepal banned solo, blind, and double amputee climbers from the mountain in an attempt to reduce the number of deaths. And you know, we want to say, gee, who would think, right? Who knew there was even climbers like that? Magar appealed to the Supreme Court of Nepal on the basis of discrimination. And in 2018, the ban was overturned. Then his 2020 plan was put on hold by COVID and travel restrictions. He's currently planning his attempt for the spring of 2023. In the meantime, his preparations include, to, what else? More mountain climbing. He says that it sounds like it's a long way off, but there's actually a very small window of time each spring when it's even possible to make the attempt. He's a pretty amazing guy. Uh, he skis, golfs, uh, skydives, kayaks, plays wheelchair rugby, wheelchair basketball. He's a motivational speaker. Even though he requires three times the energy of someone without his disability, I'll bet he makes it. Conquering Everest is his dream, his ultimate, and in his case, uh, literal mountaintop experience. Definitely not mine. Now, most of ours can probably be achieved a lot closer to sea level, right? But there are much more than physical mountaintop moments, aren't there? things that make those pale in comparison. You know, I'm thinking of those moments, those deep spiritual connections to God we, we experience, the ones that can change our lives as a result of lives of uh, others, perhaps. Times we, we face or uh, maybe we've already faced uh, challenges and trials only to realize that we don't face those kinds of things alone or in our own strength. Those are the times we realize and accept that our lives truly are in God's hands. And no matter how life goes, there's a better one waiting. Are we likely to get the kind of mountaintop moment that Peter, James, and John experienced with Jesus in our gospel this morning? Uh, probably not. Not until we move on from our house to his someday. But just reading about it is inspiring and uplifting, isn't it? The story of Jesus' transfiguration is really an awesome way to cap off this season of epiphany. It brings up the thought of a kind of a spiritual 4th of July fireworks finale to me. Like Christmas and Easter, this lesson comes around each year just before Lent begins. Today is really the high point of the whole thing, and yet some people greet it with just a casual yawn. You know, clearly they miss the significance. The truth of it is, like the shepherds running to see the newborn Savior, or the women discovering an empty tomb on Easter morning, the Lord's transfiguration is one of those stories we should never get tired of hearing. But many Christian denominations really don't give it the respect it deserves, and that's just a shame. For some people, these special day stories always sound fresh and new because every time they come to church, we're singing away in a manger. <laughs> True story, right? But no matter how often you make it to worship, you ought to hear the story of our salvation in one form or another every single week. And for good reason. For some, it might be the first time they ever hear it. You know, for those people, it's a message that brings hope. For others, it may be the last time they're ever going to hear it. And for those people... It brings a message of hope. For someone else, maybe it's been a very long time, and they need to be reassured that there really is someone there out there who loves and cherishes them unconditionally, 
in spite of all their faults and personal issues, in spite of the fact that uh, maybe they're in a struggle to even love themselves. Reminded that because of what Jesus endured and accomplished for us, we can have our slates wiped clean, our sins forgiven and forgotten, and leave here this morning, in God's eyes anyway, with a fresh start. That's a message that always brings hope. Maybe we need to hear those familiar stories again because we need to be reminded that if Jesus you know, wasn't really God, if he was just a man born of Mary and not conceived of the Holy Spirit, none of what he did for us would count and we'd still be spiritually dead in our sins. Our faith would be futile and his death on the cross would mean nothing for us because the death of just a man couldn't have paid for any sins but his own. And Jesus really didn't need to die as a sacrifice to pay for sin for his own sake. He was without sin. What brings it all home, I think, what make, really makes it, a, a real and, uh, makes it real and relevant is the fact that while he was true man, he was also true God. And it would take a, a God-man like him to die for the sins of the whole world. That's what the epiphany season has been all about. But people keep trying to morph Jesus into something or someone else that, that he wasn't or isn't. Even someone tailored to their own agenda, like we just sang about. A good friend when, we need, when they need one, maybe. And yeah, sure, he's that, but he's more. Or someone who's got our back and we feel like we're up against a wall. And yeah, he's that, but he's more. Those things alone might make him a safe guy. You know, someone who would never condemn us for our sins and shortcomings. And we'd all like a friend like that. But what we really need is a friend who's willing to hold up a mirror and confront us with the law. You know, even when it's in love, to drive us back to the foot of the cross where we'll find forgiveness. Now, maybe you've seen him sold as a sort of genie for the faithful. Um, nothing more than a marketing gimmick to, to uh, boost attendance. You know, rub the magic lamp through prayer. And if you pray hard enough, believe enough, give enough, read your Bibles enough, or just try enough. Jesus will grant your wish for a prosperous uh, career or maybe a, a miracle healing or a relationship breakthrough. And while he's certainly capable of providing all those things, he never promises a life free from troubles or struggles. Not in this world anyway. What he does promise is that he'll be there with us in the midst of those troubles. With us. Lending us his strength and his guidance as he walks with us through them. And that it help us according to what's best for us. And that's why we keep returning to this familiar territory. Because over the past year, maybe we put together a false picture of Jesus. Influenced by what the culture is saying about him. Maybe without actually realizing it, we bought into laying our own assumptions and designs and agendas on him. Turning him into someone who's there to meet our temporal needs. While ignoring his primary role in meeting our one essential need. The forgiveness of all our sins that leads to eternal life. Jesus is a great teacher. He's a great friend, sure, but he's so much more. He's Lord over all. He's greater than the lawgiver Moses, greater than the prophet Elijah he appears with on the mountaintop this morning. They defer to him. They represent the law and the prophets. Jesus, he represents the gospel, God's ultimate good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in him alone. He's not just an enlightened man. He's God in the flesh, and just a glimpse of his true glory shines brighter than the sun. He's also the Heavenly Father's own son, S-O-N, his beloved son, the one the Father tells us to listen to. This morning, he busts right out of whatever box you've placed Jesus the man in to remind us that he's also one, the one true God, 
Jesus wants his closest friends, his sort of inner circle of disciples, these three, uh, to realize that the only reason the powers of darkness are going to be able to arrest and try and then crucify him will be because he lets them do it for his sake. Or for our sake, I mean, because it had to be done. Listen again to how it all happened. Just like today, a lot of people 2,000 years ago really didn't think Jesus was anything supernaturally special. Gifted teacher, sure. Uh, compassionate, rumored to have connections in high places, yeah, real high places, right? Way high. The rumor mill was saying he was doing things like driving out demons and healing people. King Herod made it no secret that he hoped to uh, have some kind of a special personal appearance by, from Jesus. And it won't be long before he gets one at Jesus' trial. And while many people were still mulling over the question of who Jesus was and why he was here, the 12 closest to him, his disciples, were, were just coming to their own conclusions. They'd been with him about three years now. They'd seen the miraculous, the blind given sight, uh, the lame walking, the healing of all kinds of diseases, storms that stopped raging, just a word from him. Spectacular miracles that there was no explanation for apart from the only explanation that he was divine. Now, although the actual reading comes around during our Lenten season, about a week before this lesson uh, this morning takes place, Jesus had asked his disciples, who do the crowd say I am? And they answered honestly and as straightforward as they could. Some say John the Baptist. He was the one who lost his head to Herod. Others say Elijah, hundreds of years before he lived. Uh, still others, one of the prophets of long ago, come back to life. But what about you, Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? And that's when Peter makes his great confession of faith. He steps forward. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And there it was. This is a week before his transfiguration. What they'd all been hesitant to say. Peter, Peter spoke for, the, for them all. There was no way to deny it. Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ of God who had been promised. God's own son, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin who had come to save his people. Here was a man they could touch and see and feel and even converse with. But he was also undeniably God in human flesh. And how hard would that be to wrap your mind around? You probably know a few people who are still struggling with that. And so rather than face it, they avoid it or anywhere they might hear it again, like church. You know, Jesus warned his friends not to tell this to anyone, that the time wasn't yet right. There was still so much he needed to teach, so much he needed to be free to accomplish before he got mobbed by crowds every day, before the truth could be proclaimed publicly. Now, the Jews had expected a Messiah who would be the Christ too, the anointed one. But their expectation of a Savior was the man who had come to, to restore Israel to her former glory, back in the days of David, maybe, of Solomon. But for the disciples, having verbalized their faith and then being told not to tell anyone about it, must have been like somehow stumbling on the winning numbers of, the, of a, a new Powerball uh, drawing ahead of time and then not being able to raise $2 to buy a ticket. What a roller coaster they were riding. They just experienced the high point of their relationship with Jesus, their acknowledgement of who he was. And that was big news. People needed to know. But not yet, Jesus tells them. Not yet. And he goes on to say that, that his own death was waiting for him not too far down the road that the elders and the chief priests and the scribes in Jerusalem were already working to orchestrate what, what they thought was going to be his final exit. 
He'd even mention rising after three days, but that went right over their head. It was too much for them to take in. How could the one they wanted to proclaim as Lord and Savior ever be put to death? And what did he mean after three days be raised to life? The story was taking too many twists and turns. They were having a hard time because they weren't able to see the big picture yet. And most of them wouldn't until after the resurrection, until after Easter. Even Peter catches a rebuke from Jesus when he says, you know, uh, first reaction, you know, from the gut, uh, may it never be so. So by this morning, they, they'd had about a week to mull this all over. When Jesus invites Peter, James, and John to hike up a mountain with him to spend a little time in prayer. And what their prayer time brings is a, a free glimpse into the next life. Jesus' whole appearance suddenly changed. Luke says that even his face was altered and that his clothing became dazzling white. Mark says that his clothes became intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. The word he uses is a reference to a, a fuller in those days, a launderer of sorts, someone who used alkaline clay and soap to remove stains from garments. Not even the best of their trade could produce such dazzling uh, whiteness as the Lord's robes were giving off. It was really a reflection of his stainless character within, his true glory, uh, reflecting the holiness of his divinity. Suddenly Moses and Elijah were there with him, uh, exalted ancient representatives of the law and the prophets, the very men who were among people's best guesses as to who Jesus might be. Guess again. You know, they were speaking with each other about his departure, Luke tells us. Mark's gospel, largely an account of Peter's recollection, doesn't say what they were talking about, and that's maybe because Peter was so busy babbling about building them all shelters instead of listening. You can't blame him for being confused, for wanting to make the moment last, though. But you have to wonder if in that moment, even Peter was failing to grasp the significance of it. And you have to wonder, since so many churches don't celebrate this Sunday with, with uh, nearly all the fanfare it deserves, we're not guilty sometimes of the same thing. Now, we're used to living in a world where things still aren't always as they seem, a world where it gets pretty tough sometimes to see the light of Christ in the midst of all the darkness of sin. It's like being beneath dark, foreboding storm clouds, right? You know that the sun's shining up there in all its brightness someplace, but you just can't see it from where you're standing. When we're confronted with the irrefutable truths about who Jesus is and what he came to do and why, we want to look the other way because the world tells us that's impossible. But at the same time, the Spirit is reminding us of his, his Father's own words. This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And so we trust God's word. And here we are. Our world keeps changing, and we have to learn to change and adapt with it if we want to remain relevant. But at the same time, we also have to be discriminating about buying into what it tries to tell us about things like right and wrong, who Jesus is. Because some truths just, just don't change. Because by faith, we've been changed. Changed the day we were reborn as children of God through the waters of holy baptism and the work of the Spirit. Either way, we're not what we were or who we were. You know, what we were before being brought into faith was an enemy of God. But now, through word and sacrament, God's means of grace, we've been changed. We've been transfigured and transformed from sinner to saint in the eyes of God. We may look the same on the outside, but inside, in our hearts, we've been reborn into God's family of grace. You know, we're not yet what we're going to be either. 
That comes after this life. The best is really yet to come. For now, we've been transformed from sinner into sort of sinner slash saint. You know, people with all the right knowledge, all the right reasons, all the right intent, but it still fall into temptation, fall right into the waiting arms of the world and away from our God. He wants so desperately to just hold us in the palm of his hand. Because Jesus is who he is. Because uh, was who he was. God's own son. A testimony made sure by the father's own endorsement on the mountain that day. Because he didn't take the easy way, but instead endured his trial and torture and crucifixion for us. We can return to our adopted father in heaven again with a repentant heart. And for Jesus' sake, he'll forgive us and restore us, just like it never, ever happened. His own shed blood on the cross tore up the record of our debt. And, and God showed us his garment of glory on the mountain that day as a promise and pledge we can trust even on cloudy days. The Mount of Transfiguration was the high point of Jesus' time of earthly ministry. From that moment on, his path would lead directly to the cross. His detractors and, and those who had plotted against him would grow in number and in strength. They would become even more bitter and better organized. And therein lies our Lenten journey and our Lord's passion last week uh, of his life on earth leading up to the crucifixion. Beyond extraordinary, beginning Wednesday night. Amen. Now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.